From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Well, Happy New Year. Hope you all had a wonderful, blessed, joyous a Christmas. Nativity of our Lord, as we say. Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. All the best to you and yours for 2018 from all of us here on The Conspiracy Show to all of you. We had a couple of weeks off, uh, which is very rare. Uh, it's been years since I've been off for uh, two weeks, not counting my bout with pneumonia a few years ago. So much going on that under even normal circumstances, it's impossible to cover everything that's going on with a two-hour weekly show. So it really starts to pile up when the show is in hiatus for a couple of weeks, I'll tell you that. One of the big stories, of course, that dropped near the end of 2017 had to do with a secretive UFO study conducted deep within the bowels of the Pentagon. And that story broke uh, December 16th in the New York Times. I'll read that to you in just a moment, in case you've been living in an emergency fallout bunker for the last several weeks. But first, let me say hello and introduce you to the boys in the band on the Flying V Gibson guitar, Ian Robertson. Hello, Ian. Happy New Year. Welcome. And, uh, of course, here in studio on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, the inscrutable Albert Vinzel, my story producer. And uh, least, or last, rather, not least, last, but certainly not least, on the uh, Hammond B3, a feature producer, and uh, he runs our Hangout on Air, our live YouTube stream, Ryan White. Gentlemen, good to have you all back. How was your uh, your New Year and your your Christmas, Albert? Oh, good. It was... I went to my sister's in Whitby, Oshawa, and had, you know, a turkey dinner. And all right. And uh, Ryan, yours? Excellent. Lots of fun time with the family. Really nice stuff. I got a cool telescope I'm looking forward to setting up sometime in the summer. Ah, an amateur astronomer. All right. And uh, Ian, how about you? How was your holiday? Uh, like the other gentleman, family time and lots of turkey. Come on. This is the conspiracy <laughs> show. We're so boring. <laughs> I, read, I read a bunch of stuff about Sam Cooke. Cool. All His right. death. Yes. Could be a segment in the future. All right. We'll look into that. Yeah. All right. Yes, he did die under rather unsavory conditions back in 1965. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that, Ian. All right. We have to work on our private lives. This is, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, our lives are supposed to be filled with intrigue and subterfuge. And we're constantly having to look over our our back shoulder or our shoulder and hire people to start our cars in the morning and so forth. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get to uh, this New York Times story. Uh, as I mentioned back in December the 16th, Dateline, Washington, and uh, the, the headline, Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program. And the writers, uh, Helen Cooper, who is uh, the, the New York Times Pentagon correspondent, and then we have uh, Ralph Blumenthal, who is um, now a contributor, but prior to that he was for 45 years a staff writer with the Times, and then of course... Uh, researcher, journalist, Leslie Keene, the author of Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials, uh, go on the record. So, 
Allow me here then uh, to crib from the New York Times article. In the $600 billion annual defense budget, the $22 million spent on the uh, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program was impossible to find. And that's exactly how the Pentagon wanted it. So the idea was that uh, for years this program was investigating reports of UFOs, and uh, this is according to Defense Department officials. And uh, the records that were obtained by the New York Times indicate a military intelligence official, Luis Elizondo, uh, was working, as I say, deep within the Pentagon's bowels, the Sea uh, Ring, as it's known. And uh, the Defense Department has never before acknowledged the program. Now, it says it shut it down back in 2012 when the uh, Pentagon ended funding for the effort, but others insist that this project remains in existence. And for the past five years, the program, having continued to investigate episodes of uh, UFO sightings and so forth, and parts of this shadowy program remain classified. Again, it was largely funded at the request of former Democrat Senator Harry Reid of Nevada. He was the uh, Senate Majority Leader at the time. And uh, he has had a self-described interest in space phenomena. And uh, most of the uh, the $22 million went to a uh, an aerospace research company run by a billionaire friend of Mr. Reed's, Robert Bigelow. We're familiar with uh, Mr. Bigelow and, of course, his appearance on CBS's 60 Minutes back in May of 2017 when he said that he was convinced that aliens exist and that UFOs have visited the Earth. Officials with the program have also said to have studied uh, unknown objects and American military aircraft back in August. This was released back in August. An encounter with a whitish oval object chased by two Navy F-A-18F fighters. And uh, this was off the coast of San Diego back in 2004. Uh, Mr. Reed, who retired from Congress well back in uh, 2017, I guess it was, said, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed. He said, I'm proud of this program. He said, this is one of the best things I've done in my congressional service. No one has ever done anything like this before. Well, we're going to delve into this. Here's what we know in, in summary. The Pentagon has acknowledged for the first time the existence of a program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. The program is tasked with investigating UFOs and their potential threats. The government insists it cut off funding for the program in 2012 after just five years, but it wasn't completely shut down. And the official in charge of the program, uh, as I mentioned, Luis Elizondo, supposedly resigned in October. So, for the next hour, two hours in fact, my uh, story producer Albert Vinzel has put together a stellar roundtable. And uh, let me introduce the panel, one at a time of course, joining us from Mexico, one of Canada's most thoughtful passionate UFO disclosure advocates, the executive director of Zeland Communications and the Zeland News Network, a good friend of the program, Victor Vigiani. Victor, Happy New Year. How are things in Mexico? Just fine and nice and warm, Richard. <laughs> nice R- and warm. Sure, rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. It's good to, uh, to hear your voice once again. Great to be with you. Derek Gilbert hosts Skywatch TV, a Christian television program that airs on several national networks and co-hosts Sci Friday, 
a weekly television program that analyzes science news with his lovely wife, author Sharon K. Gilbert. Uh, Derek is the author of the best-selling book, The Great Inception, Satan's Psyops from Eden to Armageddon. And he's a contributing author to the anthologies God's Ghostbusters, Blood on the Altar, When Once We Were a Nation, and I Predict What 12 Global Experts Believe You Will See by 2025. He is the co-author of a brand new one, The Day the Earth Stands Still, Unmasking the Old Gods Behind ET's UFOs and the Official Disclosure Movement. Derek, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Richard, it's an honor to be here. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you. Let's get uh, co-author Josh Peckin here. Josh is an avid researcher of fringe topics, works in full-time ministry at Skywatch TV, hosts Into the Multiverse, and has authored numerous books, including Unraveling the Multiverse and Abaddon Ascending, co-authored with best-selling author Tom Horn. Josh specializes in theological and scientific studies, such as quantum physics, to explain paranormal phenomena. And again... Uh, Josh is the co-author of The Day the Earth Stands Still. Uh, the secret effort behind official disclosure is revealed at last, and we'll, uh, we'll get into this book as well. And uh, Josh, welcome to you. Thank you for joining us. Well, well thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure and honor. Uh, my, my first question is, are we all making too much of this? Some in the disclosure movement are calling this official disclosure. Some are saying this was nothing more than a, cor- a crooked and corrupt Senator Harry Reid finding a creative way to give his pal Robert Bigelow $22 million in taxpayer money. Victor, let me start with you. Are we making too much of this secret Pentagon UFO study? We're not make- Maybe we're not making an- enough to do about it? What are your thoughts? Well, Richard, any time this whole idea of quote-unquote disclosure with a large D comes up, it doesn't matter when and how it comes up, uh, especially in terms of what uh, our good friend Stephen Bassett has done over the past uh, 15 to 20 years regarding uh, his efforts to bring about disclosure in Washington, D.C. with the... Uh, with the hearing, with, with the Senate hearings, the congressional hearings that he had, that he held, with the um, the, the adventure, the, uh, the We the People adventure, trying to get the White House to admit that uh, they're wrong on uh, on, U- on the UFO count. Um, every single time any one of these efforts ever comes up, and they've come up many, many times before, uh, there always seems to be some form of short circuitry going on. And by that I mean some sort of efforts by by whomever, be the the general public or the media, or just uh, you know skeptics. <laughs> they're all over the place. Uh, it always lands up uh, being some sort of uh, large uh, critique of any effort to bring about an open dialogue about the disclosure movement. And I think any criticism of uh, of those efforts that I just mentioned and this effort too are completely unfounded because any time. We want to begin to start a dialogue among the entire human family about the uh, the existence of off-world uh, sentient beings visiting our planet. Uh, we, we cannot criticize those efforts. They may not be exactly the way we want them to be crafted in terms of financing and who who finances them and how they get financed. But the fact of the matter is, our government has been lying to us about this for over 70 years. And any effort, in my uh, humble opinion, to get this information out, any form of dialogue, and I underscore the word any three times, uh, is something that we need to investigate and pursue uh, as a public discourse. So I don't think we're making enough of this in terms of what uh, the entire 
possibility of array of of, uh, of discourse that can happen with respect to the UFO phenomenon and and the need for uh, open disclosure about this particular issue. All right, Victor Vigiani, thank you for that. I will get to uh, Derek and Josh. Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck, co-authors of The Day the Earth Stands Still. After this timeout, and we'll continue our two-hour roundtable discussion on the secret UFO Pentagon study. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. What a panel. Victor Vigiani is joining us, Executive Director of Zeland Communications. He's joining us live from Mexico, the Mayan Riviera, I believe, and on the phone as well. Uh, joining us, uh, Derek Gilbert and Josh Peck, co-authors of The Day the Earth Stands Still. And uh, we'll tell you how to get that book, and we'll delve into it a little bit as well. We're going the full two hours on the uh, the Pentagon's uh, secret UFO study. This was a story that was revealed by the New York Times back on December the 16th. Helen Cooper, or Helene Cooper, the uh, New York Times Pentagon correspondent, Ralph Blumenthal, longtime staff reporter with the Times, 45 years, and Leslie Kane, a respected uh, journalist and uh, UFO author, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. This, again, revealed in uh, December of 2017 that the Pentagon had spent $22 million studying UFOs, and uh, this was uh, done at the behest of former Senator Harry Reid of Nevada. The bulk of that $22 million apparently went to uh, his uh, friend, billionaire, aerospace entrepreneur Robert Bigelow. And you'll recall that back in uh, May of 2017, on CBS's 60 Minutes, no less, Bigelow said that he's convinced that aliens exist. So the timing is kind of interesting. We have, of course, Bigelow's appearance on 60 Minutes. We have the exploits of, of Tom DeLong, former frontman of uh, rock group Blink-182, who quit the band back in 2015 and decided to dedicate his life to towards UFO dis- disclosure. And it's interesting that the man at the center of this story, Luis Elizondo, who was the military intelligence expert, who's sort of the whistleblower on this and resigned in October from this Pentagon study group, has since joined up with Tom DeLong's uh, group. Isn't that right, Victor? Exactly correct. Yeah, yeah. It, make no doubt about it. It, uh, it was a very big move, and uh, we're not exactly sure of the dynamics. If you listen to some of the videos that, uh, that DeLong has put out about this, uh, exactly how the en- entire team was put together, the To the Stars ac- ac- Academy, um, but it sure is something that appears to mean business. Now, once again, as I said earlier, you know how they constructed this and what their apparent motives might be. Uh, we'll only be, uh, you know, uh, glad to see exactly how this turns out eventually. But the fact of the matter is, they're they're digging they're digging deeper than anyone ever has, as far as I'm concerned. Especially um, with with the mention of CBS. My criteria has always been, as as someone who studies the media intensely, that once this issue, once the UFO ET issue, call it what you wish, appeared on CBS uh, News, uh, name. 60 Minutes, as uh, is in the Bigelow um, interview. Once this issue hit 60 Minutes, it was, in my in my terms, the cork off the uh, off the bottle or the genie 
out of the bottle. I think it was a massive move on Bigelow's part, not only to come through and say what he said, but to say it in such conviction that he really doesn't care what anybody thinks. This is his uh, belief, firm belief, and uh, he's going to stick to that. Uh, he's going to stick to that belief. All right, let's get to uh, Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck, co-authors of The Day the Earth Stands Still. Let's start with you first, Derek. Are we making too much of this Pentagon disclosure? Not enough? What are your thoughts? No, I'm glad that Josh and I are both glad to see that this is getting the kind of attention that it does because it's a phenomenon that really needs more uh, discussion. Now, Josh and I come at this from a uh, an unabashedly Christian perspective, uh, but we're not the only ones who are looking at the phenomenon and, first of all, saying that this that there is something going on here. We're not uh, uh, definitely not saying that there is nothing to the UFO phenomenon. There certainly something is. Uh, we just want to follow where the evidence leads and... Um, uh, and I think in, in the course of discussion, I uh, have an opportunity to express uh, our analysis of the, uh, the, the, the research, the analysis of, the, uh, of, of what uh, uh, information is coming to light. Uh, I don't think it's unfair to ask about the, uh, the motives of the, uh, the folks involved in it, um, just as good researchers and good uh, journalists, investigators, what have you, we just need to ask the questions and not accept everything at face value. Uh, and I think it's fair to ask, you know, what motives might be behind the timing of the information release, uh, the fact that uh, Mr. Elizondo was connected to the release and disclosure as soon as he joined the uh, this, this for-profit venture headed up by Tom DeLong. And I don't think it's unfair to uh, point out that there is a very heavy intelligence community presence on the board of directors of this new venture. And this is perhaps me being skeptical. I mean, I started in the media in 1980 as a newsman, and over time I've learned that different facts are interpreted differently by different people, depending on their point of view. And, and, you know, that includes me and Josh, of course. But when you look at the presence of the intelligence community veterans on the To the Stars Academy, you've got a couple of different ways you can analyze that bit of information. Either this is a group of... um, gentlemen who have uh, great expertise in this field, and they certainly do, uh, who are perhaps using that expertise now to uh, launch a business venture and perhaps educate the public about this phenomenon, or perhaps it's the intelligence community taking another avenue toward shaping the narrative, which, as uh, Victor pointed out, they've been doing for the last 70 years. Josh, your thoughts? I don't think we're making too much about it at all. Actually, I'm glad that this stuff is talked about more openly uh, now than it has been, well, frankly, ever. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that any time you would hear uh, anything on a serious news, you know, media, TV show, you know, CNN or Fox News or anything, if they if they did report anything on UFOs or anything, it was uh, usually laughed at or, you know, it was kind of treated as like this goofy thing. Uh, in light of recent events, this is the first time that I've actually seen it taken seriously um, by a, a lot of major news uh, networks and stuff, which is, uh, I mean, it, it, it's phenomenal. Um, but to um, go along with Der- what Derek was saying is, uh, yeah, it's really important to know that when stuff is reported on or when we hear, um, you know, people like Tom DeLong give his opinion, I mean, we, we even went into the WikiLeaks emails in our book, The Day the Earth Stands Still, and uh, I... We, we printed uh, Tom DeLong's emails from the WikiLeaks. Now, these are private emails, so he didn't have any reason to 
try to put on some facade or something like that. I do believe his interest in UFOs is genuine, but I also think he, like many others, maybe without realizing it, is treating it more like a religion uh, than a scientific venture, which, which is fine. I mean, they could do that. Every, you know, people are uh, free to do that. Uh, Derek and I certainly push our religious uh, views, and we have a religious bias as well, being Christians. But part of why we wrote the book is to show that this isn't as scientific as some might think. The way that it's been interpreted is more spiritualized. So let's say that this is the first step towards official disclosure. I don't know that that's ever going to happen. Uh, if it does, I think it'll be uh, extremely complicated, and there's not going to be a simplistic answer for everything. But let's say that this is the first step towards something real. No matter what information comes out or, or the, the many different ways that an official disclosure scenario could pan out, even up to extraterrestrials landing on the White House lawn and, and speaking with us directly, we're still going to be given an interpretation of the truth by people reporting on it. You know, we're still going to be given some sort of slant or bias. Now, Derek and I are totally upfront about our, uh, about our bias in this. Uh, we take a Christian worldview. But that's not to say that we're, we, we don't have the traditional Christian view of just saying, well, it's all demons and, you know, we don't need to talk about it beyond that. Uh, we, we don't take that, we don't, we don't take that trajectory. We, uh, we, we think that there is something real and tangible going on, uh, something even physical in, in some cases going on and something that can't be explained always by, uh, by, by things within our physical reality. So uh, we're, we're a little different in that sense. But, uh, but we're, we're very upfront in the book about where our personal bias comes from. So we're trying to show that everybody, you know, every, everybody who uh, deals in this topic has some sort of slant like that, has some sort of bias. Sure. Uh, and, Obviously, and, this and whole like, thing has become, you know, like, it, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Finish your thought. Okay. Well, uh, like, uh, like Derek was saying, um, you know, we just want to show that when, if and when official disclosure does happen, there's still going to be that same type of interpretation. It's not going to be uh, this type of, you know, well, the truth is out now, and now we all know. There's still going to be a lot of questions, probably more questions that, than, you know, that we have uh, than now. Uh, so it's important to look at it, uh, you know, through, through that lens and see that in a lot of ways, and again, not saying this is necessarily a bad thing or a wrong thing or that we're, we're condemning it. I mean, you know, we all were... Uh, people are free to, you know, do what they want and talk about things the way they want to. But, but it, a lot of times this, is, this, this topic is handled more like a religion than a scientific venture. That came out in the WikiLeaks emails. That came out in a lot of our research. And that even comes out in the, uh, the abduction and UFO experiences themselves. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Victor, but I know how long you have toiled to get a serious journalistic treatment of this subject. And so on one level, what you're saying is, again, not to put words in your mouth, but okay, yes, we can argue about, you know, what the politics are here and who's working what angle, but let's at first, at least for now, just take a moment, a step back, and let's just celebrate the fact that it is being treated at a serious journalistic level. The New York Times, there's no tongue-in-cheek. They are reporting this in a very, very straightforward, serious manner. Let's celebrate that fact first, and then we can sort of step back and maybe sift through the entrails. Is that about right, Victor? You've actually put the words right into my mouth, uh, Richard. Actually, that's exactly the perspective that I've taken over the past 35 to 40 years of my examination of this extremely complex issue. And I think we're hearing um, 
from uh, you know several different points of view here, and it's much like if I could use the uh, the, the, the whole Christian uh, or uh, Christian Judeo um, in Genesis of uh, of Joseph's coat of many colors. That's what we have here. We have a coat of many many different colors. And I don't think it's um, inappropriate to really look at it from as many different perspectives as we possibly can, because we know how many um, disparate groups are, in fact, out there who want to believe certain things about what this phenomenon, whatever it might be, really is. And the more different perspectives we we begin to talk about, we engage dialogue about, um, will bring clarity to this issue, and that's that's all that uh, that we at Zeland Communications seek. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter about the motives and all of that. It's a, that's all secondary d- dialogue. What we need to do is get this, the discussion moving around it, so that the human family can begin to discuss this in a rational way. And my impression is that good journalism is probably uh, not science, not religion necessarily, uh, not uh, cultural bias, but I think good journalism has always brought us to the precipice of understanding the crises that were faced, be it a world war or be it you know, a catastrophe of some other kind. Good journalism always takes us to the door, and then it's up to humanity to decide what kind of information, not necessarily evidence, I really don't like that word evidence, but the information that's necessary to bring people to a point of, of clarity about the, the fact that we are, A, with, that we're not alone in the universe, and that for some strange, inexplicable reason, these beings, whatever they are and their craft, are here uh, among us. And we have to come to grips with that, no matter how we interpret um, how the information comes to us. Agreed. But here's the thing that concerns me, and that is that we've sort of seen this movie before in different iterations and a number of times it sort of ended badly let's say for example the Roswell slides Hmm. there have been other incidents it's almost like we're being set up as if someone is creating a straw man in order then to tear it down and then it can further set back Mm -hmm. the whole UFO disclosure movement let me um, give you an example we're talking about this Luis Elizondo and um, my good friend John Rappaport, who's not with us tonight, but he, uh, of No More Fake News, he's with us on, on the program a number of times. And here's what he writes, and I, I thought it was rather insightful. He says, for far too long, government insiders who offer UFO revelations have been given a free pass. They should be treated like any other sources for breaking stories. Your information is fascinating, but I have lots of questions about you and your background. There is a history of these insiders spreading disinformation or lies mixed with truth. This is how intelligence and propaganda operatives work. For instance, they could present tidbits about actual UFO sightings, along with false claims about recovering alien bodies. Those latter claims would be part of their covert agenda. Here are questions Mr. Elizondo should respond to. Mr. Elizondo... In your extensive high-level work as an intelligence case officer, did you ever plant stories in the press? False stories. If not, let me put into put uh, put it to you this way. If you had seen the value of planting a false story in order to move a covert operation forward, would you have done it? Mr. Elizondo, you resigned from the Pentagon in October. Almost immediately, you began revealing secret UFO information to the public and the press. What about your non-disclosure agreements with the government? You violated them, didn't you? Do you have permission from the government to ignore these agreements? If so, how did you arrange that? If not, what has the government told you about your violations? Again, this is John Rappaport uh, from No More Fake News. I thought all very 
legitimate, important questions that should be put to Mr. Elizondo, to anyone who has access. What are your thoughts on that, Victor? Well, the, he's he's really providing us with a series of questions from someone within uh, an agency that uh, knows a whole lot more about this uh, than most people. And I think those are, in fact, legitimate questions. But I think the, one of the overriding questions, Richard, is um, who, in fact, or what agencies, in fact, have the influence and power to, um, as one of your guests just mentioned, who has the power to frame this issue the way they want. I think that's one of the key issues in the whole discourse. Right. What kind of lens are we being uh, forced to look through uh, to interpret how the UFO ET issue is being framed by the secret government, by the military, by wh- whomever is in control of the way this information flows? And I think that that is a very, very key question. And if anyone who's involved into the, uh, the to the stars program, they need to answer those questions too, because they they definitely are part of a of a controlled mechanism as to how this information is coming out. And I think you and I both know that any time the government, be, be they intelligence agencies or the military, whatever, gets their fingers into this pie, you can definitely make sure that that pie will be tainted in one way or another. And as soon as you taste the pie, you know, you drink the Kool-Aid, you become part of the problem. And I think that's part of the, the issue here. And I go back to my previous point. Uh, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a key point to understand some of the great researchers that we have, some of the great journalists that we have, they, these are the ones that are going to bring that issue into focus and really kind of tease out how the military and how the secret government is forcing us to interpret what this UFO issue might be and remove some of the bias. I know we can't remove all of the bias all the time. I'm not painting journalists as a, you know, as the, uh, as the, as the, the knight in shining armor that's going to clarify everything for us. But really, it's the only mechanism that we have. It's the only vehicle towards some kind of quote-unquote truth what this issue might be. And so those questions that are being asked of that individual, uh, Mr. Alessandro, I think are legitimate questions, but what, even when he answers, how will he be able to uh, defend who he has been with over the past several years and what his agenda is? So there's a multiple numbers of ways we can look at it. And I go back to my point once again, the journalists are the ones that will be able to tease this out for us and allow the public to decide where the information is coming from and what the biases are. Uh, over to you, Derek. We're, we're coming up on a break, but let's just uh, hear from you now, and then we'll uh, continue after the break. What are your well, thoughts on... Briefly, yeah. this is something that we didn't go into great detail into in the book because it wasn't the primary focus of the book, uh, but we did touch on a number of government uh, agencies, uh, specifically joint security control, which is documented in an FBI memo from July of 1947 that this uh, particular government uh, Department of Defense agency uh, which was tasked with the type of deception that we uh, worked against the Nazis on D-Day to conceal where we were attacking from, was uh, before the end of July 1947 already interfacing with the FBI about investigating UFOs. So this Department of Defense agency, whose mission was to deceive, was involved at the very beginning of the modern UFO phenomenon to try to shape the narrative. So uh, we just wanted to point out that uh, as we look at this phenomenon, we need, as critical thinkers, to ask the question, how is this narrative being shaped, and for what reason might the government want to get us to believe a particular thing about the UFO phenomenon? Well, Josh, pick up on that thread. Why would, what, what does the U.S. government, or at least this particular branch of the U.S. government, perhaps, what do they want us to think about this phenomenon? 
Sure. Well, I think I think a lot of it is political in nature. I think because uh, we see we see this a lot in other in other areas that you know outside of extraterrestrials and UFOs. Um, for for example, uh, the Roswell, and it's, we probably don't have enough time to before the break to get too heavily into it. But uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll just say briefly that there there would have been good reasons that the U.S. government w- might have wanted the public to think that it was an extraterrestrial craft that crashed on Roswell. Now. Uh, I've heard compelling arguments both ways, so I mean I'm open to both possibilities. But in the book, we uh, we we try to go where the evidence leads. And, and on that point, I'll quickly say too that um, you know we we do handle this from a Christian standpoint, but that doesn't mean that we're opposed or that we're even discounting the possibility of actual extraterrestrial life. We deal we deal with that heavily in the book, and we could get into it later if you're interested. But well, and that, on that point, it, on that yeah. note, let me um, let me go to break. But let me say, sure. uh, I can safely say, all four of us on the panel are uh, are Christians. We will uh, pick this up on the other side. The uh, co-authors of the day the Earth stands still: Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck, and the executive director of Zealand Communications, Victor Vigiani, as we discuss the Pentagon UFO study right here on the Conspiracy Show. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. We don't do this often, and that is uh, go the full two hours on a single subject. But we have assembled our uh, tremendous panel here, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network. And, uh, Victor, quickly, how can, uh, how can we read your blogs and your, your dispatches on uh, Zealand News Network? Well, basically, uh, if, if uh, our listeners, Richard, want to just Google uh, Zeland Communications, all one word, Zeland, and then Communications, uh, they can uh, get to all of our press releases and editorials uh, on that one particular site. And uh, Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck, uh, co-authors of The Day the Earth Stands Still, uh, the secret effort behind official disclosure is revealed at last. And... Uh, let me uh, go back to you, Victor. Uh, if you're the editor at the New York Times, uh, and now it's time for a follow-up uh, on this uh, blockbuster article that came out December the 16th, um, what are you going to what are you going to ask uh, uh, your your marching orders for Helene Cooper, Ralph Blumenthal, and Leslie Kane? Um, well, I've, I've given that a lot of thought because, in, in a sense, I anticipated that question because. Um, and, and I like the way I believe it was Derek mentioned it uh, a few minutes earlier is, is how the na- this narrative will be framed. And what I would do if I was the editor of, of that particular um, uh, uh, newspaper, what I would challenge all the writers who are interested in doing this, not just for the New York Times, but all media in general, is to raise the level of conversation about this. And I think by that I mean... Um, it, Engaging in a form of discourse that really has uh, forces us to ask the really big questions about what's really going on here, irrespective of motives, money, finance, and all of that. I think these writers have to get to the core of what this issue really means to us as a human family, irrespective of government and all the controls of intelligent agencies and and that, that whole entire quagmire. And there are at least five major questions that I think uh, these journalists have to begin to uh, raise in, 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 in a coherent and rational way. The first one is we're talking about the fate of the planet. Are we in a recovery mode here, or are we going to continue with extinction behaviors that will decimate the planet? Second of all, what's the meaning and the use of money with this concept of an economy? Is it a relevant issue to us as a human family? Do we need the kind of economy that we have right now based on a cyclical war economy? 
um, our, our own place in the universe when we discover that we're not alone. Who are we as a race, as a species? And, and I think that the very key question is, who or what is this thing that we call a creator? Now, that may be tough for journalists to approach, but it really speaks to, this whole issue speaks to where have we come from uh, as corporeal and non-corporeal beings. And, and finally, I guess there's the whole idea of, of, of the juxtaposition of the corporeal existence that we enjoy right now versus the, the non-corporeal or spiritual existence that we, that, that we may enjoy uh, after these containers that we're, that we're all living in right now are, are, you know, are completed or brought to an end. And those are five key questions that we have to raise in, in order to really understand what this, the, 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 the quantum presence of, the, of what this issue is all about. And I think we have to set aside the older arguments that many researchers have been involved in for over the past 35 to 40 years and raise the level of conversation. So that, that would be my challenge to them, Richard. Well, those are all great questions, and those are things that, you know we discuss on this show. There's, there, those are the subject of film and literature uh, for you know perhaps centuries. But doesn't that presuppose that the pilots of these, uh, these um, UFOs are not uh, United States, you know, pilots. Uh, that, that that these are not highly sophisticated Air Force craft of some sort. Isn't that presupposing mm. that they're extraterrestrial or that they're interdimensional or something like that? Mm. Well, I think that argument is is fairly uh, fairly easy to, to to deal with, Richard, because. If you're talking about the last 25 to 30 years, perhaps even 40 years, there may be a, uh, an argument to say that some of these craft that we're seeing in the air uh, are in fact experimental craft piloted by by human beings with uh, you know exhibiting technologies that we're just not aware of. That's been sort of the, the military persona uh, for a long, long time, and that that's that uh, I, I would definitely espouse that particular point of view that some of the craft that we are seeing are in fact our own craft but it does not address the issue uh, that uh, perhaps our other guests could could raise that these craft have been in existence and been seen culturally uh, over over millennia they have been here long long before man even entertained the idea of flight so in in in, in the ancient literature in in many of the uh, uh, you know the, the the Mayan culture. As a matter of fact, every single culture, uh, native culture on the planet, has some sort of storytelling that involves um, things that come from the sky. And I think that we're we're at, at our own peril if we dismiss that entire anthropological argument about where these craft are from, who they might be, and what these beings are all about. So I think that the whole idea of you know experimental craft is a, is, a, is a good one. But I don't think it completely explains the uh, the ET question completely. Uh, Derek, this is now we're sort of getting into your wheelhouse about, I guess, the the, the origin uh, of these craft and the whole ancient alien or ancient astronaut uh, theory. Uh, and again, we're coming up on a break. This was a short segment, but let's begin this discussion now. We'll continue afterwards, uh, obviously. Uh, well, Do you want to address what some of the things that Victor pointed out? No, we would absolutely agree with Victor in that uh, we cannot explain all of the sightings and all of the craft that people have seen through natural means or as uh, experimental craft, well, uh, obviously as experimental craft that the government would have an interest in concealing from, uh, say, uh, the Russians and the Chinese. But uh, to get back to Victor's five questions, and I think these are very insightful, questions that he would like asked of um, 
the witnesses to uh, these um, events, you know, researchers or rather uh, journalists as they investigate this particular topic, because especially his final three questions are essentially the questions that everyone asks uh, who are searching for a meaning that's bigger than themselves, a meaning to life. In other words, religion. Uh, where do we come from? Why are we here? Are we going to keep going this way? Or is there some meaning to existence beyond just trying to get by each day and have enough to, uh, uh, to eat and a place to sleep? Is there some meaning to our existence? And, and thirdly, what happens when we die? What happens when these uh, corporeal shells that we inhabit are no longer with us. All right, let's uh, delve into those uh, when we come back. Sorry, this was a short segment. The Day the Earth Stands Still, Derek Gilbert, Josh Peck. Joining us also, Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zeland Communications. Back with more of our two-hour roundtable discussion on the secret Pentagon UFO study, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. All right, uh, I want to turn this uh, over to Derek and Josh for a moment here and, and talk about you know those final three questions that Victor uh, said that we should really be addressing in a, in a serious manner. And uh, one is sort of the, the nature of uh, creation: who is the creator? What is the creator? Uh, second, sort of the, the the trajectory of human history and where we are we are going as a planet and as a civilization. Uh, and and um, th- third, I guess, has to do with. What was the third one? <laughs> uh, the, uh, the our corporeal nature. What happens when we die? What happens when we die? Uh, if we frame that uh, sort of within the UFO arena, uh, aren't we sort of getting into what you referred to earlier, Derek and Josh, and that is sort of ufology as a religion? Absolutely, and that's why we addressed it in the book. And I'll turn this to Josh in a second, but just want to point out that uh, when you look at recent studies, and sh- uh, was a 2012 National Geographic Channel did a survey of American adults and found that 36% of us believe that we're being visited by ETs. The Barna Group, which researches what Christians in America believe, found that only 10% of American adults have a biblical worldview, which they defined as holding six key tenets of Christian uh, theology, uh, things like uh, Jesus lived a sinless life, was born of a virgin. Uh, Satan is a little, literal entity and not just a concept or a, or a force. Uh, so when you look at it from that perspective uh, and realize that many people are turning to the UFO phenomenon to answer those big questions of life, where do we come from, what happens when we die, you know, is there a meaning to my existence beyond what I see in my workday life? Uh, yeah, uh, there are more people who are turning to uh, E.T. than to the God of the Bible to get those answers. Josh, jump in. Yeah, um, so this is this is part of what we dealt with in the book too, just kind of the theological, uh, you know, na- nature of the whole UFO, ET, uh, life on other planets question. And, and, and again, from me and Derek's standpoint, we're not the type of Christians that are threatened by the idea of life on other worlds. We actually deal quite a bit with it in the book uh, as a possibility. Now that word possibility, <laughs> uh, we we kind of keep it there. Probability. Um, at least in the sense of uh, are we being visited? No, probably not. And we look at the evidence. Now, we, we, we do believe that we're being visited by something. Uh, whether it's extraterrestrial or not, we, we deal with that heavily in the book and actually go through the evidence to say it's likely. I, I believe that we build a strong case for the extra-dimensional hypothesis. Um, but but the, the, the theology of this, um, you know, if you look at those questions, uh, and this again is why you know we we kind of make the case in the book that this should be 
uh, at least certain interpretations of this phenomena should be treated as a religion rather than a scientific venture. Sure, there there are uh, people in there, you know, out there trying to study this scientifically as well. They should. Uh, but again, these aren't things that can be recreated in the lab, you know, at least not yet. You know, we, we don't have, as far as we know, any kind of uh, extraterrestrial body that we can study. Uh, now, maybe the government has something like that, and who knows. But even if they did, there would be interpretations of that as well. Um, so a lot of this, uh, you know, it, it starts with where do we come from. Uh, now, in, in me and Derek's view, we're created in the image of God, and, and, that, and that's a big part of why we're not threatened by the uh, the, the, the possibility of life on other worlds because it doesn't threaten our position uh, as imagers of God or God's imagers, God's representations on earth as if he were uh, here today. That, that certainly doesn't mean that we are God or anything like that, but that uh, you know, we're, uh, we're God's creation and um, we, we have this, uh, this office called the image of, of God that, that, you know, that, that we hold here on on earth and this, moral agents, this for, if you will yeah moral agents yeah yeah and this goes for every human being on earth even people of other religions i mean this is just man is created in in uh in, in god's image uh now whether they accept that or deny that you know that that's up to the individual but uh in the et view uh if if uh if et created us i mean what would it be? Uh, the, the best we could consider ourselves are, are an experiment. Um, they, they would be absentee mothers and fathers, you know, because they left uh, without any direct line to them. You know, I mean, some could make the case that, well, God left too, but, you know, there's there's the whole Jesus dying on the cross thing. So uh, uh, we, we, we don't have an alien gray doing the same thing. Uh, so, I mean, it, it answers the question in a fundamentally different way that we talk about logically and, and philosophically in the book, is this really better, you, you know? And, it, again, this is just for people who, who uh, sort of treat the E.T. phenomenon as a religion. And, and these are our creators. They're our space brothers. Uh, you know, they're going to come back someday. It's all the hallmarks of, of a religion uh, rather than a scientific venture. Now, I fully do believe and accept that uh, the government studies these things as well they should. Uh, you know, this is something that Derek and I talk about quite adamantly on pretty much every interview that we do. Is that yes, we should have scientific studies of these things uh, because well, I mean, first, what if it is ET or what if it is something extra, extra dimensional or what if it's uh, uh, newly formed technology and developments from enemy countries. You know, I mean, the, the, these are all possibilities that we have to take in effect. So I'm, like Derek, um, uh, I, I'm glad that the government is studying this. Now, wh where I kind of get nervous is what is the government going to use this for? You know, are they going to use this as a power play on the rest of us? I think that's probably likely. Uh, if, we, if, we look at the, uh, if we look at the history of pretty much every government ever, <laughs> right. that, that kind of seems to be the tact. If, if you can uh, get more power using something, especially something mysterious like this in the past, it's been uh, you know, certain religions and things like that. So, Josh, are sure, you suggesting could, that this is all leading up to, is this all sort of then perhaps potentially leading up to something like a Project Blue Beam? Is that where we're heading? Uh, the, the, the holographic, yeah. the, the idea that, yeah, I'm, I'm Blue invasion. Beam, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I, I try to, I try to take things with as much evidence as possible, and I, I haven't heard anything convincing about Blue Beam that would, 
that would necessarily make me too nervous about it. But let's let, let's say for sake, just sake of argument, that that type of holographic technology does exist in some type of. I, I don't. I, there, there's a lot of different scenarios on how this could be used nefariously. You know, some t- some type of uh, alien invasion, or even th- even going as far as some type of uh, projected second coming of Christ. You know, that scenario has been put out there. I just don't see I, I, the amount of money for one thing it would take to implement something like that worldwide is just is is insane. Uh, but. It would, I mean, if I'm understanding the argument right, it would still be holograms, right? Like, I mean, these things... That's these my understanding, yes. wouldn't actually be able to, to have any kind of physical attributes. So, I mean, it would be really easy. It seems like it would be really easy to debunk. I, I, I think the government most likely is just going to kind of leave us to our own devices, let us believe certain things that we might believe in, and then use those towards their own end. For example, if Roswell wasn't an actual ET UFO crash. What if it was something else, an experiment they were working on with either uh, Japanese captives or, or kids with progeria or, or something horrible like that? And I'm not even saying that that's a definite thing, but what if that was the case? Wouldn't it make sense that the government might say, you know, the whole ET thing, that bodes a lot better for us. <laughs> Let's kind of try to steer the public towards that. All right, let me uh, jump in here. Otherwise, we're in a lot of trouble here. <laughs> okay. Josh Peck, Derek Gilbert, Victor Vigiani, stay with us. Back on the other side, more of our discussion on the secret UFO study conducted by the Pentagon. Stay right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. <laughs> 